Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Hello, Firecrackers, and welcome to a new episode of The Honest Uproar. Today, my guest is the fabulous Crescent Dragon Wagon. And yes, that is her real name. You may already know her. She's a James Beard award-winning cookbook author who has helped hundreds of thousands of people get comfortable with their kitchens, their ingredients, and their cooking skills. And she's made cornbread for a president, title royalty, feminist Betty Friedan, and popular vote winner and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. But Crescent and her friends often call her Dragon, which is a spark-filled name if there ever was one, also writes for children. Her half a moon and one whole star was a Coretta Scott King Award winner and a Reading Rainbow selection. In addition to cookbooks and children's books, she has two novels and a book of poetry out. And last year, at age 65, added a sixth genre, playwriting. Her until just moistened and not quite one woman show with crumbs was presented at Theatre Squared New Play Festival, described as being about life, lust, love, and cornbread. It's a portrait of marriage, widowhood, grief, and resilience, told somehow through, yes, cornbread. Crescent, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Isabel. The first thing that I want to ask you is, you know, some might think that it's odd that you not only write for children, but you're also elder daughter of renowned children's book writer, Charlotte Solito, and yet you are child-free. Could you tell us why? Sure, sure. And, you know, being probably an older babe than a lot of people that are, that you interview, it's interesting to think how this changes over time. Um, I was not child-free by choice. You know, there was a point where I really wanted to have children, but I had a kind of contraceptive called the Dalcon Shield, D-A-L-K-O-N, if anybody cares to Google it. It was one of the typically horrendous things that our society is very cavalier about women's health and women's choice, but we won't go too far down that rabbit hole at this moment. But anyway, I had this IUD and... It gave me chronic pelvic inflammatory disease, and so I had to have a hysterectomy, or as I say, being irreverent as I am, I had to get spayed when I was in my 30s, and you know, I was heartbroken at the time. I adored my husband. I really wanted us to have at least one child. You know, I had the fantasy about him and me together, and what would it be, and, and of course, you know, biology is really saying, breathe, breathe, hurry up and breathe. You know, you think it's your head and your decision, but actually there's a biological thing that makes you want to do it, in my view now, irrationally. So I was spayed. I was very sad about it, very unhappy. But I'll tell you, now that I am a rockin' 66 years old, and certainly the majority of my friends, not all of them, but the majority of them have children, and I am so glad that I never had children. So glad, you know, for so many reasons. And so 
you know, if anyone is struggling with the yes and no of it, I can tell you, um, even though it was not my choice, I'm so glad if I, if I had been thinking straight, it would have been my choice then, mm-hmm. but, but I wasn't. So those of you who are listening, who are smart enough <laughs> to have made it a choice, good on you. And those that are grieving because it was an option that was taken away from you, let me assure you that somewhere down the road, you might feel like that was, I mean, certainly we wish that blessings did not come in disguise. That's one that sure was, came in disguise to me. Wow. Did you ever think about adopting? <laughs> that is a phrase that when people would say to me, I would pretty much always break out in a rash because <laughs> for those of you that can't have children, and then everybody, of course, as the listeners to your podcast will know, everybody is always trying to get you to hurry up and reproduce, hurry up. And if you tell them that you can't have children, they look very sad for you. And then they say, as if it is some original idea that they just received, you know, that nobody has ever thought of before. Have you ever thought about adoption? It's like, what? You know, really? You think you're the first person? You think that I, and you know, and it just, it just, infuriates me. Um, It's like one of those utterly clueless things that people say when they think they're being helpful. And it's like so stupid. Um, I mean, it's a little bit like when people proselytize non-Christians and say, have you heard the good news? I'm sorry, if you're in your 20s, you heard the good news an awful lot. You either went (laughs) with it or you didn't. But, you know, come on, it's not news. You know, it might or might not be good for somebody, but it's not news. So adoption is obviously you considered it. And if you didn't do it, you know, I mean, it's just a stupid thing that people shouldn't say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, I think uh, that's very common, I guess, for women that have had uh, fertility issues to hear from somebody. Right. And there are reasons why people don't adopt anyway. If I had wanted children for the true reason that I needed to nourish and nurture and look after one specific other small, initially small and helpless human being, of course I would have found a way to adopt. But, you know, it was something less pure. It was it was that I wanted to have a combination of Ned and me. And frankly, the world does not, there are so many children that are uncared for in the world. The world does not need anybody to be breeding more of them. You know, okay. I mean, I, the woman that, that uh, dyes my eyelashes for me has been trying very hard to get, yes, because when you get old, your eyelashes go white too, so screw that. <laughs> wow, okay. She's trying very hard to get pregnant, and she's pregnant. And with my feeling one-on-one, I tell her that I'm very happy for her. And I, I am. I'm happy when anyone gets what they want. But in the general rule, I just think, why our poor planet with the consequences of overpopulation, which nobody wants to talk about. But if other species could talk, and if they talked about us in the terms that we talk about them, they would say, these human beings, they're an invasive species. You know, they're wiping out all the biodiversity. They just take, 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 take. You know, and when you add in the consumerism that is, you know, certainly promoted heavily, in in most of the world, it's just disastrous. So 
you know, and I mean, I do think it's great to love and nourish and nurture other people, but there are a hundred thousand ways to love the world and to love the children of the world. But even if you are not a child person, to nurture other people, to nurture the earth, to be of assistance, don't need to do it by reproducing. So if you want, buy a con Dios. Yeah. It's, it's, it's complex because it's one of those things that's like, you know, this is my property and I get to do what I want with it, of course. But if you dump crap in your water, somebody else is always downstream. I have been a vegetarian forever. And, you know, I love to see people enjoying food. And if somebody is enjoying that lamb chop, the one-on-one part of me feels great. You know, it's their choice. It's their decision. Shut up, butt out. It's none of your business. And it is none of my business. However, every piece of meat we eat, again, steals resources from the planet, takes food out of the mouths of the hungry. And, you know, I don't want to fall down that rabbit hole either, but I could explain to you rationally why that is so. And yet I would never say to somebody, don't eat meat. And I don't even judge them for I mean, I was raised a meat eater. I used to like it. So I understand why they would do that. And I wanted kids. So I understand why people would do it. But really, not great choices for the planet. And the yeah. planet does belong to everybody who's already here. Mm, absolutely. I agree with you. And, you know, it's really scary because I've seen several studies that um, have been done regarding our non-renewable and our renewable resources both. And right now we're already using more than the whole earth can actually give us. And it's only going to get worse because, uh, I mean, we're still growing at a, as, as, as in terms of uh, population at, a, at an alarming rate. And thinking about having a child now is that child is most certainly going to have issues later in life with water scarcity, food scarcity. There's so many things that we're doing to the planet right now and nobody's fixing them. So hot too. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's really sad because like you said, we are all here in this planet. It's all of us and we're all responsible for it. And, you know, I try and do my little part, like I recycle and whatnot, but I also read somewhere that having a child in the state specifically was like releasing, I don't remember how many tons of carbon dioxide on, on the planet. So it's even worse than having like the largest SUV and just leaving it on during a whole year. You know, it's, it's crazy. And you can't, I mean, as a, as a fellow human being, I can't say to somebody that, and I, I do think children are adorable. I've worked with children. I write for children, but that it's not good for the earth. It's actually a little bit selfish and piggy. If you look at it from that point, on the personal thing, I just, I think everybody ought to do basically what they do as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. But it's on that border between, well, actually, incrementally, it does harm everybody else. But of course, you just don't say that because it's hurtful. But, you know, on, on the other hand, there's also lots of juicy, good, equally selfish reasons to not have children. Um, you know, I have 50 published books out. I've been writing a long time. I love my life. I have never had to work a job that I hated. I didn't always make enough money writing to really have what people would say a comfortable life, but I always got to do what I loved. I almost never had to take a job that I didn't want to take. And if I had had dependents, 
I could not have had the freedom to do what, you know, I don't know who put me here or why. I just feel I was put here to do that. And, and I think also if I had had children, I think I would have felt all my life being divided and guilty. When I was with my kid or kids, I would have felt like I was giving short change to my writing. And when I was writing, I would have felt like I felt guilty giving to my kids. And, you know, so financial resources, freedom resources. I've never had the money to travel around the world quite as much as I wanted to, but I got to travel some and I'm still going to. So that's another selfish reason it's, you know, it allows you to, or maybe not so selfish, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to be judgmental enough to say it's selfish to have children, which part of me thinks it is. Okay. Yeah. This is selfish things that I did for myself in not having children. I wanted to pursue writing and not have to worry about having to make enough money to support somebody else. As I would have been, you know, motherhood is the hardest gig that there is. It's really hard. And you know, I would have been one of those self-sacrificing mothers. Raise your hand, world, if your mother was self-sacrificing and let you know it, because all mothers are. Well, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't do that. You know, I got to do what I wanted, and I had the freedom to travel and not have to be home. And another thing that I don't think anybody talks about is, or that I hear talked about very much, I really think that motherhood puts a lot of mileage on a woman's body. I oh, yeah. think it mm -hmm. is really, because of course it's a creative act from your flesh. You're making this new flesh. And if you choose to do it, that's your choice. And I get it and I appreciate it. But as I mentioned, I'm older and people consistently guess me to be 20 years, sometimes even 30 years younger than I am on a good day. <laughs> That day, you know, I look at me. I just heard it today from somebody. Wow, you know, you don't look sixty-six, and it's because you know some of it is all those years of being a vegetarian, but some of it is just being happy. I didn't have the stress of worrying about how was I going to, you know, feed, clothe, send to college, put in rehab again. You know, whatever thing might have happened in this theoretical child, but also some of it is physically. Yeah. I did not put all that extra mileage on this poor little body that I have. Mm. So that's another piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I was discussing this with somebody else the other day and we were talking about how nobody really talks about what your body has to go through during and after a pregnancy. Like most first time mothers are like really happy they're going to have their kids, but it's like a secret that nobody tells them, you know, and then they have issues with their bladder control or they have issues with, there's so many things that happen to their bodies. My mother told me that when she was pregnant with me after her pregnancy, she was one size up in shoe, in shoe size because her feet never actually, I don't know, I, I guess their feet get uh, really swollen, but hers didn't really go back to their normal shape. And she had to buy like shoes all over again. And I love my shoes. <laughs> I know it's really petty what I'm saying, but I love my shoes. Well, you know, another thing that nobody will ever tell you about is children are an anti-aphrodisiac. You know, and of course it makes sense. Biology pushes us and biology is interested in reproduction and survival of the species. So all the emotional energy that might go towards building the relationship with your partner or spouse goes into taking care of this personal helpless creature 
who you have chosen or not chosen to have. And there's very little left over, particularly at the beginning, relationally, you know, to give to your partner or to receive from your partner. And a lot of women shut down sexually children. And the guys, of course, they didn't have the child. They still have the biological imperative. So that's when a hell of a lot of affairs and cheating happens. And, you know, the woman just is not into it. But you can't make a one-sided decision. You can't expect the guy to go without sex. But it's sort of, it's rarely talked about. I mean, a lot of times the happiest times in people's marriages are before they have children and after the children has, have left. But those of us who don't have children <laughs> kind of, you know, be, be having that in our lives for the yeah. whole time. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that. Another reason that, you know, I look maybe and feel like I drank the fountain from the fountain of youth is, you know, I have been happier. They often say, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Well, I haven't had to sweat it over my kids because they don't exist. Yeah. I just have to worry about myself and my partner and my friends. And God knows there's plenty of people to worry about if you want to worry about. But plus, I have all those extra years of having good sex. And that has a great regenerating effect, too. Yeah. And I'm still happy, by the way, those of you who think <laughs> that over at a certain point, only if you want it to be over. Um, yeah. But um, it's, it's, and especially at this moment, one of the things that really intrigued me about you starting this podcast at this particular time is in the backlash, the, the attempts to reverse Roe v. Wade, we are saying that women are essentially here to breed. It's very, very, very handmaid's tale. And, and you know, it, I don't think that life begins the moment that sperm hits egg. I think it begins at a moment that, and of course, you know, there's room for disagreement about this. I understand, I do truly understand that people consider it murder. And at a certain point, yeah, okay, you can make that case. When that little being could live independent of the womb, um, which, you know, it's it's certainly not in the first six weeks. Huh. But we're saying that a mature, developed woman is less important than being like a breeder, being the ground for this potential human being to grow on this overcrowded earth, whether or not she wants it, whether or not that child is going to be loved. Once again, we come to adoption. Well, you know, if she doesn't want the child, there's always people that would adopt it. Yeah, but to have to have nine months where it's out of your body and it's really, really scary because if you don't have reproductive freedom and choice, the killing is of you Yeah. versus a, in my view, a potential, yeah. a potential human being. And anyway, no, no, I completely agree with you. And uh, I was, you know, in my interview with Lenora, uh, it was published uh, earlier we talked about this because we said, okay, um, I told her I have never met a child-free woman who is pro-life or not pro-life, let's say not pro-choice because the pro-life thing is a little bit twisted. So not pro-choice. Who is anti-abortion. Yeah, exactly. Because it's disingenuous to say pro-life 
I mean, being in favor of the right to choose life is pro-life. And those stupid anti-abortion people who basically are repressed and want to keep women down, you know, I probably know 30 women who've had an abortion. I know one who regrets it. One. That's it. So, you know, yes, there are women that regret it. And that one was sort of railroaded into it because she was 16 and it was her parents. And people shouldn't be railroaded one way or another. Yeah. You know? People, not fetuses. Human beings. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's all, it, it all comes down to choice, to the choice that I can make on my body, the decisions that I can make on what my... So we decide on who my sexual partner is. We decide on, you know, how I want to treat my body in terms of do I want to have piercings? Do I want to have tattoos? That's all fine. But then I don't understand why politicians still want to, you know, make laws about what women can and cannot do regarding the reproduction uh, rights, basically. That for me is mind-blowing. Well, it's the old thing of... When a particular group is in power, they wish to maintain that power. You know, you can be rational with them all you want, but nobody who is used to power and is so entitled that they don't even realize that they have entitlement, nobody ever presented the logical case and they said, oh, it's very rare. And they said, gee, you know, you're right. That isn't fair. I'll give up some of my power so you can be, just doesn't happen. And... So, you know, they used to say in the South, and I'm from the South, and I love the South, um, but they used to say, yeah, you just got to keep your woman barefoot and pregnant, meaning you can keep her down. You can oppress her. And, of course, once women have children, they are not free. I'm not saying that you can't choose to have children and have a wonderful life, but nobody is free after they have children. And, you know, fathers can sort of fake it, you know, as we've heard the story of the politician who came out being so self-righteous about anti-abortion while he was telling his mistress to go have one, you know. And, and, you know, when we saw that that group of old white men making those decisions about women's health care, it made my skin crawl, (laughs) you know. And again, you know, I I understand that people have a lot of emotional things about having children. When does life begin? That people are desperate to get. And part, I mean, I, I feel compassion for anybody that really wants something. And I understand if you believe that life begins at the moment of conception, why it would be a moral issue for you. But, you know, there's a moral issue on the other side. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, time to articulate that a little bit. You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. You know, it's it's uh, it's interesting what's happening right now because you mentioned okay the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We also uh, have all these women that are part of the Me Too movement, and now we have you know we're trying to do something here as well for child-free women because we're not a marginalized group per se, but we are either part of one or the other. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Every time so? when are you going to have kids? It's it is. I mean, there are things. 
you know, if you're not in the majority, you're in the minority. And by virtue of being in the minority, whether it is as an immigrant, as a Jew, as a child-free woman, as a Muslim in a Christian majority country, as a Jew in a Christian minority country, majority country, if you are a minority, you have less power and people make assumptions about you. Now, the strange thing is there's actually more women than men, but we've been fed the Kool-Aid of being in some way compliant and pleasing with, you know, the, the, the mother's milk, as they say. I mean, uh, I mean, I kind of wish, sometimes I wish, what if we were all blind and we just didn't have the capacity to judge on appearance? Imagine if we all had permanent paper bags over our heads so we didn't know what color people or if the voices were more similar so we couldn't say if someone was female or male or, you know. I mean, imagine what it would be like if you judged people by their actions, by their kindness or their intelligence or their hard work or their originality, not these outer things, not the brand name of the purse that they're carrying or, you know, whatever thing it is. Mm. And so, yes. So I do think child-free women are marginalized and man with, with all this pressure, I mean, the overturning of Roe v. Wade brings with it the specter of the overturning of birth control. And what that says is your value is as a breeder, Get the, the freak out of the way, and don't you worry your pretty little head about us. Us guys will take care of the whole thing, and we can see what a great job they've done of that. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about child-free, you or anyone, it actually, one reason that we are marginalized is because that issue, that choosing to be child-free, or even in my case, not choosing but being happy with it, it brushes right up against the sexism of the culture. It says, whoa, you know, she can enjoy herself sexually and not have to pay the price. You know, not and whoa, she's gonna do like a guy does and do what she wants and walk away. How selfish, how this, how that it runs right up against abortion and reproductive rights and female sexuality and um the idea that women should be subservient and self-sacrificing, mm. it runs against so many insane cultural things. So, of course, we are marginalized, even though we don't mean to be doing it. We think of it as an individual choice. Largely, unconsciously, a lot of people are saying, well, she's messing up the system. Why didn't you have any children? Yeah. What are you going to have news for me? Yeah. I'm going to be a grandmother, you know, whatever thing it is. <sighs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. And it's funny. You just, you know, thinking about this subject specifically, and now like I'm, I'm listening to you talk about this and I just realized that, you know, for most of the child-free women uh, in their 20s and 30s, it's so hard to find a partner because. I mean, finding a child-free guy is not very easy, I understand. And then uh, when you are like going out and you want to just get it out of the way, you know, just, hi, my name is, I'm child-free. <laughs> Guys are usually like, what? You don't want to have kids? Like for them, that's, oh, it's mind-blowing. It's like, because most women want to have children. 
especially in their 20s or 30s. So that, I think it's another way of us being separated from, you know, women who actually want to have children, that finding a suitable partner that wants to spend their lives with us, just sharing that freedom is not as easy as one would think. Yeah. Now, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a time in your life when it really works great is later in life, because, you know, again, this is the valuable thing about having somebody that's older than probably your general demographic is it makes it so much easier. Like if a woman is a young widow and she has small children, forget her chances of finding a partner. It happens sometimes, but it's rare. And like my age, guys are so relieved that I don't have children because, you know, children are judgmental when they're adult. You know, they just, they don't think mom should be doing this. And, you know, later on in life, and I would think that some men, certainly on the front end, are sort of relieved that the woman is not like an automaton on the moving stair where you like each other, you really like each other, you have some chemistry, you have sex, get on the train, okay, you're going to get married, you can live together, get married, have children, build assets, build a house, live together, and move towards death and have grandchildren, which as we know, 50% of that, you know, I don't know what the figure is at the moment, but about 50% of the marriages end in divorce. But in any case, I suppose it's good because it weeds out the men that you wouldn't be compatible with anyway. I, you know, I remember in the in the interim after my husband died, before I met the man that I lived with for ten years before he died, and I promise I didn't kill either of them. I, had, I adored my husband. He was out bicycling and got hit by a car. Oh. Terrible. You know, we had twenty three years, and we really adored each other. But anyway, in the time in between, I was dating on the internet. And I met this guy who was kind of promising to me, lived in Northern California, nice looking and intelligent. And we had lots of stuff back and forth. And we started talking. And um, one night we were talking on the phone and I had mentioned I didn't have children and he didn't have kids either. And we hadn't seen each other yet, but we were talking about my coming out there to see him. And he said, you know, we talked earlier and I think, I think I I have to tell you, Preston, I haven't completely given up on the idea of having children. And I laughed. And I said, this is putting the cart so far in front of the horse that like the horse is in New Jersey (laughs) and the cart is in Mexico. But just for the hell of it, let's say, do you want to have children biologically or could you be happy adopting? And he paused and he said, I think I could be happy adopting. And, he, and then he said, you know, I just think that having a child might plug up some of those great big holes in me that I feel the wind blowing through. That's a lot of and responsibility for a child. <laughs> exactly. At the moment he said that, I thought to myself, well, Crescent, it has been a very nice flirtation. He's a very nice guy. And in fact, exactly what I said to him, I said, don't you think that's kind of a lot to ask of an infant? And, you know, we talked a few times more, but I knew at that moment, this guy has not done the developmental work to be a whole human being. And he is not for you. And I never did meet him. 
I think about them every year at the um, at the winter solstice because he left a voicemail for me that that time that said, "Happy solstice crescent, we're moving towards the light." So wow. I think I have a little fun <laughs> wave to him across the universe. You know, that's that's it. I um, I think a lot of people think that children will give their life meaning and. I suppose, in a sense, they do, but in a, because biology kicks in most of the time. Not always. I mean, let's remember, snakes are mothers. You know, biology is not is not any guarantee of being of having a vocation to be a mother. I mean, some people are really clear that's the only thing they want to do, but not everybody is cut out for it. As anybody, <laughs> three quarters of the people in therapist's office will attest. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so. It's it's true. I mean, I just making this decision for me was liberating because I realized that deep inside of me, I did not want to become a mom. And the thing that I have heard a lot, and this is tying in with, with what you just said about giving meaning to life, is that women cannot be called women or be real women or have a meaningful life if they're not mothers. And that just pushes the wrong button in me. You know, it's like, what about all these women who have achieved amazing things? Like, for example, you, Crescent, as a writer, or women who are scientists, or women who are politicians, or women, you know, there's so many women that have accomplished, whether they're mothers or, or not, you know, so. And how many men would have, if they had to stop and have their body change, and then have a helpless thing that was completely dependent on them, you know, we would see a lot fewer guys that, you know, they can they can afford to be feckless about this. Now, I'm not saying that all men are. I'm not anti-men. I'm There are men that I adore. But, you know, most of them are not in that category. They're, they're mature. They're, they're grown-up guys. I don't know. It's, it is very sad and very sobering. And, you know, I'll tell you, I, there was, you know, when you called to ask me this or emailed me, I was thinking about another thing. My late Aunt Dorothy, she had, she was very clear that she didn't want children. And she had three abortions at the time they were illegal. Wow. You had to have a, like a password, like getting into a speakeasy. And it really was back street. It was on somebody's kitchen table that had newspapers on it. She was a hundred, and my mother had two abortions before she had her two children. So uh, my Aunt Dorothy lived to be almost 101. And I was crazy about her, and I hung out with her a lot. And she didn't have children, so it kind of fell on to me. And one day I went to see her, and she's in extreme old age. And that particular day, she was very talkative. And she was asking me questions nonstop. And she said, who was I? And I said, well, you were Dorothy Arnoff. And she said, what did I do? And I said, well, you were an editor. And she said, what's an editor? And I, it, she said a hilarious thing with that. I said, well, you know, an editor reads what other people write. And if they make mistakes or something, the editor might say, this isn't very clear here. And at that point, she stopped asking questions. And she said, I must have been an awful nuisance. <laughs> but then she went back to the questions. And she said, was I married? And I said, yes. And she said, did I have boyfriends? And I said, oh, yes, not at the same time. That was sort of frowned on, but no. And she said, 
did I have children? And I said, no. And I said, but you had a niece. And she said, was she nice? And I said, I don't know, Aunt Dot, you tell me, I'm the niece. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of her life, she didn't know whether she had children or not. It was so past being bothered by it. I don't think she regretted her decision for a minute. And another thing that I think for all you younger childless women, as you continue through the cycles of life, at a certain point, your mother becomes like your child. You, If they live long, you wind up taking care of them. You know, And indeed, some of the ways that a lot of the issues between my own mother and me got resolved, oddly, was I got to mother her in her last few years. And that was the great use of that kind of nurturing energy. And, you know, we would play together. And, you know, I mean, that was really magical period of time for us. Well, I was a really good daughter in that. And I did my level best to make sure she had great caregivers and she stayed at home and she got to live out the end of her life. She had enough resources that we could just barely do that. But, you know, you spend your whole life, you know, taking care of children and doing this and that. And then finally you get old enough where you can have some independence for a while, at least until you hit extreme old age. But then your children often become your jailers. They say, Mom, I don't think you should be living alone. Mom, I'm worried about you. Mom, you're dating? I mean, suddenly they become, you no more get them raised and out of the nest when they start bossing you around. <laughs> and I bet, that's, I bet that's something that you have not probably not yet considered. But there are really long-range ramifications to this. Now, I have also asked myself, and this is something for everybody to think about, you know, I saw how much I did to intervene to keep my mother's life straight. It is true that there are people out there that would take advantage of old people and steal their money and try to take, and there's a lot of crappy caregivers along with some who are gorgeous people. But, you know, if I hadn't been there, a lot of bad stuff. So in my 3 a.m. moments, I sometimes say to myself, Yeah, but Crescent, you know, your aunt lived to be old, your mother lived to be old. Who's going to be your Crescent when you get old? And it's a legitimate question. And where I finally landed on this is, you know, you've lived an unconventional life that has been rich in friends and community your whole life. And you may not know this. You may not know who it will be or how it will come out, but it's going to come out. Somebody's going to somehow, somebody or some group of people, you will be looked after in some way, somehow. You know, I hope, I hope this perspective <laughs> from this aged crone here <laughs> is, will be helpful to those of your listeners who are in their 20s and 30s. Because it's really being child-free is a very long game. And the real goodies of it in my, you know, I may wind up regretting it in the end of my life. My aunt didn't, but I don't think so. And I can tell you right now, every time I see women and men friends that are dealing, I, before I got with my guy, I dated a guy who had put his daughter through rehab 37 times when finally he said, that's it. Not again. And he just let go and she's somewhere loose in the world. And he, at 
in his 70s is raising a kid who's a little bit brain damaged because his mother did so many drugs while she was pregnant. And, you know, if you go to the, to the, the shelter to adopt a cat, you don't know what you, you might adopt an older cat where you have some idea their person, but if you adopt a kitten, you have no idea if this kitten is going to be the type that jumps on the stove and pees on the burners and tears everything up and hisses when you walk in front of it, or if it will be a sweet, wonderful cat that will enrich your life. It's a crapshoot. But with a cat, it's a cat. You know, you have options. But with a kid, you can't take the kid back to the shelter. You can't find somebody. Well, you can probably find somebody else to have it. But you really don't know what you're going to get. It's a huge act of faith. Yeah. I mean, being married is a huge act of faith. They're, they're, you don't know how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. And that's why weddings are so moving is people say, till death do us part, you know, for richer, for poorer. But nobody really thinks in sickness and in health, nobody thinks, yeah, he's actually going to be poor and sick and I will stay with him for life. Nobody actually really thinks that through. So a marriage is a crapshoot too, but the odds are slightly better in your favor. But with a kid, you really don't know. And over and over again, you hear, this is another thing. It's not as allergic making as... um have you considered adoption? But almost is when people say, well, you don't know. You've never been a mother. And it's true. I've never been a mother. And people will say, you just don't know what love is until you hold your own child. Oh, my God. Yeah. You don't know, you know screw you very much, really. Yeah. You know, that may be true. But there may be kinds of love that I know over life. I mean, I am... I am a really loving, unbitter person. You know, I've walked through grief. I've worked with kids my whole life as a writer going into the schools. And there are times when I feel like I am in love the way a fish might be in water. I mean, I walk down the street, the way the sunlight comes and falls on a particular leaf seems so beautiful to me that tears come to my eyes. And then there's a family walking down the street and I have some conversation with the little girl or the the kid there or, you know, you know, many times I just have this feeling of being in love in that sense. I mean, it's obviously, I love my guy that's in my life. I love my friends, but there's this sort of general feeling of loving the world and hoping to God that we manage to pull back from the brink that we are so rapidly hurtling towards. And I wonder if I had had that all-encompassing, meaning-giving love that people have with their children, perhaps I would not have been able to fall in love in with the world in the way that it has been my enormous privilege to do. That's It touches me in a part of my heart that I can't even explain because I completely relate to that. Oh, Crescent, it's been such a pleasure having you here. Before I let you go, is there anything you would like to add to our audience? Yeah, I just gave you the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to track me down, um, I have a website called dragonwagon.com. I do three blogs. Um, one is about food. Um, it's called Deep Feast. And of course, I believe that any time people talk over 
food and it's good food that there is, and it's about more than the food. Um, one is called Nothing is Wasted on the Writer. I do teach writing. I teach it online and off. I don't do any of these packaged classes where it's just videotapes and blah, blah, blah. I actually do real-time classes, but you can attend by Zoom as well as live and in person. And um, so it's like one night a week for 10 weeks, and I do that. Um, and then I also do a third series of posts that's just about, in, a, in essence, fearless living. I write often about grief and widowhood. And of course, everybody is going to lose somebody or be lost to somebody or have to comfort somebody. So to speak, to teach everybody grief literacy is you know, one of my callings, I think. You can go on Amazon and you can find my books. Um, and if you and we started out by saying yes, it's my real name. If you get motivated to know why I have a crazy ass name, if you go to dragonwagon.com, there is a button that says, Is that true real name? And you can click it and it'll tell you the whole story. Awesome. So I'm gonna leave you guys the link to Dragon Wagon's website. Uh, and also check out her workshops because you know, writing is cool. And you're an amazing writer. And I'm also going to leave you. Everybody has a story that they're burning to tell. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And then there are stories that we don't know that are burning to be told. Mm. And I love, I love helping people just open the door to what's right there. You know, they close it. They think it's a fortress and it's not. So that's great fun for me. And I'll also leave you guys her links to the Instagram and Facebook so that you can follow her adventures and her pictures. And uh, thanks again for being here. It was a big pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Isabel. Good luck. You're doing good work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Kidfree community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire. <laughs>